Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see everyone today. It's great to sing of the praises of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've just embarked on a new series from the Gospel of John, and it's all about Jesus. And so it's great to sing about him as a lead up to our message this morning. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. And while you're doing so, just wanted to say uh, a big word of thank you to all who helped uh, yesterday to make uh, such a special day for our daughter and for our son-in-law. It was a really neat day, and we had so many people that served and helped and contributed to that day. And so thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We're so grateful for everyone who helped, and it was a special, special day. Well, we'll be in the Gospel of John. Our text for today is verses 1 through 5. And I think it's safe to say that almost every American has heard of Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? Almost everyone has heard of Jesus. Now, that's not to say that that everyone knows a lot about Jesus, and that alone should be a wake-up call for the church, but the name of Jesus is not hidden in today's society. Now, to some, the name of Jesus is nothing more than a swear word, but, but to others, Jesus is viewed as a model of free and unconditional love. In that, in the minds of many, Jesus was the most non-judgmental, loving person to have ever walked the face of the earth. And, and because he was so loving, it doesn't really matter what people do because he loves them and he approves of everyone. So most people would agree with the Doobie Brothers who sang the song, Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus, yeah, he, he's all right. He's cool. In fact, he's really cool because he's so meek and tolerant of everyone. A good example of this kind of mindset of Jesus at the highest level was when Barack Obama was serving as the sitting president of the United States of America. And he tried to use the words of Jesus as substantiation of his newfound support for gay marriage. Talking about ripping a verse out of context and trying to make the Bible seem to sound like you want it to sound. President Obama quoted Jesus from Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 which says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and essentially implied that somehow, because of that verse, Jesus would be an advocate for gay marriage. How ridiculous and blasphemous. If you think that's egregious, just recently the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, has been paying for billboards in seven different states supporting what he calls abortion rights. One of the billboards says, need an abortion? California is ready to help. And then underneath those words, there's a quotation from Jesus from Mark chapter 12 and verse 31 that says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. What? Love your neighbor by killing an innocent unborn child as if Jesus would somehow be supportive of abortion? How sick and twisted. You see, the problem isn't that people don't know the name of Jesus. The problem is they don't know who Jesus really is. And of course, these two examples should serve as a reminder that we don't get our theology from liberal politicians. Both of these men and every other blasphemer who has ever lived will one day stand 
before Jesus Christ, and they will acknowledge who he is. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, all of that to say again, as I said last week, there is no better place to learn about who Jesus really is than the Gospel of John. And so hopefully you are there in our text for this morning. So last week, we began our exposition of John's Gospel by laying some very important groundwork that should serve uh, us pretty well, I would think, as we embark on our study of this unique gospel account of the life of Jesus. And so let me just say this as we begin today. If you weren't with us last week, I'd encourage you to go to our website or go, go to our sermon audio page or our Grace Life Facebook page to listen to last week's message because we really did cover a lot of ground, and I think you'll find it helpful as we dig, dig into the, this gospel over the course of the next year or two. So our mission for this morning, our mission for this morning is to continue to build upon what the Apostle John initially wants his readers to know about Jesus, because that is his purpose for writing, right? You remember last week we looked at John's purpose statement in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, which says, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these what we have, has been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so John says that he wrote this gospel so that people may know who Jesus is and that they'd believe in him and that they'd receive eternal life. And so it's no surprise to us that John begins his gospel by laying out four descriptions as to who Jesus really is. And we looked at the first two descriptions last week, but I want to review just a bit this morning to bring everyone back up to speed. But first, let's read our text for today. It's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So we learned last week, the first description as to who Jesus really is, is that Jesus is eternal. In the beginning was the word. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. The word word here, as we said last week, is the Greek word lagos. It it means the, the tangible, visible expression of God. John confirms here, as we move throughout this gospel, that indeed Jesus is the word, the visible, tangible expression of God. We see this as we move throughout chapter 1 in verse 14, in verse 17, in verse 18, and so on. Jesus is the Word. Jesus came to the earth to reveal God to man. So literally here, what John is saying is that Jesus precedes the beginning. 
He has no beginning. He has no end. He's eternal. He didn't begin to exist at the incarnation. He's always existed as the second person of the Trinity. And so we ask the question, how can someone be eternal? Because after all, everything in our world has a beginning and an end. The only possible answer to the question is that Jesus must be God because only God is eternal. And that brought us to the second description as to who Jesus really is. And we saw this in verse 1 and verse 2 as well. And it's that Jesus is God. So in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Lagos, the visible, tangible expression of God. And the Lagos was with God. And the Lagos was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God. So if you recall last week, we looked at a number of passages of Scripture that speak to the deity of Jesus, the Word, the eternal Lagos. Drop down to verse 14, just uh, while we're here. We find the incarnation description, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. One of the things that I like to do when I'm talking to skeptics is to take them back to the Old Testament prophecies and then show them their perfect fulfillment in the New Testament. So let me just do this on one occasion this morning. If you turn back to Isaiah chapter 7, and this is certainly germane to what we're considering about the life of Jesus, If you go back to Isaiah chapter 7 and look at verse 14, we find these words. Now, let me just say that Isaiah prophesied these exact words that we're going to read here in a moment. He prophesied these exact words over 700 years prior to Jesus coming in the flesh, the Word incarnate. This is what Isaiah said. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, 700 years prior to the birth of Christ, there was a bold prophecy prediction by one of the major prophets in the Old Testament that this Emmanuel will come from a a virgin. He will be conceived, and she will give birth to a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. So now let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, as we work our way back to the Gospel of John. Matthew 1 and verse 23. Amazing! This is amazing. We can't even make a prediction as to what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the next day. This was 700 years prior to Jesus ever coming to the earth. And notice here, in almost expressive terms, the same language that was used back in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, we have the record of Matthew who says 
In verse 23 of Matthew 1, Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Jesus is God. You ever asked the question, you ever wondered why it was necessary for Jesus to be born of a virgin? Because it appears in Scripture that at least symbolically, the sin nature is passed on through the seed of man. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all have sinned. Now, in systematic theology, there are all kinds of doctrines and there is a specific doctrine, the doctrine of sin. It's called harmartiology. It's from the Greek word harmartia. And so just to give you a little refresher on the doctrine of, of sin, based upon Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 and moving forward to the life of Jesus, Adam and Eve were created by God without a sin nature, Right? They were created without a sin nature, and so the theological term was they were created peccable. So the word peccable means that they were able not to sin. It was possible, because they didn't possess the the sin nature, it was possible for Adam and Eve to have lived forever and not sin. So they didn't have the corrupting nature of sin within them. But that's not to say that they weren't created with a will that rebelled against God. And so in and of themselves, they sinned against God. And when Adam sinned, the sin nature was then passed on to all of Adam's posterity. So you and I, we were not uh, born peccable. We were born sinners with a sin nature. Now, it's different with Jesus. Because Jesus is truly God and truly man, He was not born peccable, which means that he was uh, able not to sin. He was born impeccable. Because of his divine nature, Jesus could not have sinned. He was not able to sin. And so this is the doctrine of the impeccability of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.15 says... For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Hebrews 7, verses 26 and 27, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted from above the heavens, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up to God. Jesus is God. He is truly God and truly man. This is the doctrine of the hypostatic union that we'll talk a lot about as we move through the Gospel of John. Jesus is God. And Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would come to the earth 
to reveal God to man. So we have general revelation, right? We have all that God has created. Romans chapter 1 speaks of this, that there is general revelation that God has created the, the, the heavens and the earth. We can see that, and we can see that this was a great design, and there must be a great designer who designed this, and that designer is God. So every man knows that God exists because of general revelation. And, of course, Romans 1 says that God, who is the creator, implanted in the hearts of every man that he exists. So there are no true atheists. We say this often, but, but they are, there are no true atheists. Romans 1 says everyone knows there's God, the ones who say that they don't think there's a God or there is no God, they're just pressing down the truth that they know. So Jesus is truly God and truly man. He came to the earth to reveal God to man. So we have the general revelation. Jesus is the special revelation. He is the specific revelation of God to man, along with the Scriptures. So we have general revelation, and we have special revelation, and Jesus himself is the special revelation who came to the earth to reveal God to man. And as God, he would live a sinless life that would qualify him to be the perfect sacrifice that God would accept for payment of sins of all who would believe in him as Savior and Lord. So we're going to switch gears here a little bit to the third and fourth descriptions as to who Jesus really is, and we find that here in verse 3 of our text, verse 3. And we find here that Jesus is creator. Jesus is creator. So John begins his gospel by saying that Jesus is eternal, Jesus is God, and now he says that Jesus is creator. Of course, only God can create something out of nothing. Look at verse 3. All things came into being through him, through the word, through the logos, through Jesus. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That's pretty uh, comprehensive. (laughs) Nothing came into being that the word, the logos, Jesus didn't create. So Jesus is the creator. I love the parallel passage to what we're looking at here in the verse 5 verses of John chapter 1. There's sort of a parallel passage in Hebrews chapter 1, so I would like to go back there for just a moment and look at verses 8 through 10 of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, verses 8 through 10, and this is a quote, a special quotation here from Psalm 45, from Psalm 45. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. But regarding the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. Notice, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Now, before we consider this in more detail here, Jesus as creator 
which is what this passage is really talking about here in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, he's clearly attributing creation to the Son, right? So I just want to highlight that the real Jesus, the real Jesus is not the tolerant, meek, non-judgmental person that many would like to make him out to be. Numerous times in Scripture, we find Jesus exercising righteous anger and judgment. For instance, Jesus had no use for the money changers who were defiling the temple. He wasn't happy about it. He wasn't happy about it. See, he, he loves righteousness but he hates lawlessness. So he flipped over their tables, right? You know the story. Defiling the very temple that housed the presence of God. So Jesus was angry. How about his posture towards the Pharisees? (laughs) Did he like the Pharisees? You know, Jesus reserved his harshest judgment for religious people, people that would say that they are religious, and yet they were so far from God. Their hearts had not been changed. The Pharisees were law uh, followers, law promoters, pompous, righteous people, religious, religious people. Hey, they would even go and they would stand on the street corners and pray so everyone could hear them. They would use all the flowery language about God. And the people would walk by, oh, they must be religious. They must have a direct connect with God. Listen to their prayer. It's so beautiful. But in their hearts, they had hearts of stone. They were called by Jesus whitewashed tombs. He had no regard for the Pharisees because their hearts had not been changed. And and honestly, we live in a world where there are a lot of religious people. True? I was driving around uh, yesterday with my brother and sister-in-law who are in town, we're in town for the wedding, and we were just looking at all of the different churches that are on the street corners as we were going to where we were going. So I was charged yesterday with picking up the wedding cake, so my only job was to not drop the wedding cake. So I succeeded, but uh, I just pointed out to him as we were driving, look at how many churches are on these street corners, everywhere you turn, there are religious people. People that go to church. People that pray. People that read their Bible, perhaps. I think the two people that I mentioned earlier, the two politicians that I mentioned earlier, I think they would say they're religious. But they're so far from God. Jesus was not a wimp. Jesus loved righteousness and he hated lawlessness. Notice here in verse 9 of Hebrews 1, again, that Jesus loves righteousness and he hates lawlessness. The same John who wrote the gospel of John 
wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, also wrote the book of Revelation. We mentioned this last week. But John says this about righteousness and lawlessness in 1st John chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. He says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him sins continually. No one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him and he cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor the one who does not love his brother or his sister. And hang on to that last part of verse 10. So, as we look again, real briefly here, snapshot of Hebrews 1, 8 through 10, I want to quickly note four things here if you're taking notes. First, let's note the address. Let's note the address. Verse 8. The address is to the Son. So, the writer of Hebrews is clearly speaking to Jesus about Jesus. Okay? Number two, second, let's note the association. Verse 9. Verse 9 acknowledges the deity of Jesus, which means that Jesus the Son is equal to God the Father, and yet he is voluntarily subordinate in office. The phrase, your companions here, is speaking of Christ's humanity. Jesus had other human companions. Third, let's note the activity in verse 10. Creation is of Christ. Among the many ministries of God the Son was that he created all things. And then finally, we note the likeness to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, right? So Christ is equal to God, separate from the Father and Creator, and all the same truths we find here in the Gospel of John in verses 1 through 5 of our text. So let's go back to the Gospel of John Chapter 1, and we find again in John chapter 1 and verse 3 that all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So as the eternal Lagos, Jesus created the world and all that is in it. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And let me just say, God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, actively involved in creation, right? They created all all things. But notice at the end of verse 16 of Colossians chapter 1, all things have been created through him, meaning Jesus, and for him. See, we, we, we can grasp the through him thing, 
right? Jesus is creator. He created all things. But what? Why did he do it? He created them for himself. We have made everything about us. And this is antithetical to the teaching of Scripture that it's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. And this is why I love Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Yesterday at the wedding, uh, Lucas and Allison had a Bible, a wide-margin Bible, and they asked those who went to the, to, the, to the ceremony to sign by their favorite verse. Well, I fall far short of what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, but it's where I want to be. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's about Christ, the eternal Lagos, who created the whole world for Himself, for Him to be glorified. What is our job as Christians? To glorify Him in everything we do. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we're to bring glory to the Lord. One of the TV shows that we like to watch, and that list is growing shorter and shorter over time. There's not much good on TV anymore, to be honest with you. But one of the shows that we like to watch is Shark Tank. Anybody ever watch Shark Tank? It's fairly wholesome. And I got to say, I am utterly amazed at these people who invent things that no one else has ever thought of. I mean, we talked last week about how old the earth is and how long man has been upon the earth, and these people are coming up with things that no one else has ever thought of. It, it's remarkable to me. But every single invention that has ever been shown on the shark tank was made from something that already exists, right? Human inventors need existing materials. But Jesus, on the other hand, is far more than just an inventor. He is creator, and he created everything ex nihilo. Ex nihilo, the Latin for he created everything out of nothing. He didn't need any existing materials to create the heavens and the earth. He created everything ex nihilo, everything out of nothing. Hebrews 1, 2 and 3 says, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Where's Jesus today? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And at the same time, preparing a wonderful place for those who will trust in him. So Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. And then finally, we see here in verses 4 and 5 that Jesus is the light and the giver of life. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John uses the word life 
over 35 times in this gospel. It's, it's one of his resounding themes that eternal God, creator Jesus, is the source of not only physical life, but eternal life. So the great truth of the Bible is that Jesus came to this earth to provide eternal life for all who would believe in him. As the light of men, verse 5 says that Jesus, the light, shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Most commentaries offer, I think, a better translation of that last part and render it this way, that the darkness did not overcome it. And so the idea is that the darkness is powerless against the light. Many of you know that my wife Kathy is almost totally blind in her right eye. Several years ago, she was having some weird things going on in her eye. So she went to the optometrist. They said that she had floaters and flashers in her eye. It was normal. You're getting older. Your eyes start to do that. I've had those things. But she wasn't all that sure about the diagnosis. Over the next few days, her eye went dark, except for one little pinhole of light in her upper right part of her eye. Even though she's legally blind in her right eye, that little tiny pinhole of light overcomes the darkness. And so when John says that Jesus is the light, he means that the sin-darkened world ruled by Satan is powerless against Jesus, who is the light. Not only does John say here that Jesus is the light, he's, he's the way to life. Jesus said the same thing about himself in John 8 and verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He said in John 14 and verse 6, and we looked at this last week, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And so I don't think I need to tell you, but the world is a very dark place. And in my estimation, it's getting darker by the day. But John says Jesus is the light. Jesus came to shine a light in the darkness. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. John eleven twenty five 25 says that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in him will live even though they may die. You see, there's always been a universal call for sinners to turn to the light in repentance and faith. And if they do, they will receive eternal life. 1 John 5.11 says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. One of the first hymns that I ever remember singing as a young child, I think we sang it a lot at our church, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And so here's where the rubber meets the road for those of us who have been given eternal life. As we come to faith in Christ, we become, what the Bible says, a new creation. 
Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, when he said, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. You see, even though Jesus is no longer on this sin-tainted, darkened earth, His light is still to be shining brightly through the church, His church. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Philippi. Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. By loving one another, John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 8-11, through 11, by loving one another, believers shine light into the darkness. Here's what he said. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother and sister remains in the light and there's nothing in him to cause stumbling. But the one who hates his brother or his sister is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's all kinds of imagery in Scripture with darkness and light, darkness and light, darkness and light. What happened at salvation? God opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God, the holy God of the universe, sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to the earth and to die in the place of sinners. But He didn't stay in the tomb. He was resurrected on the third day. We serve a risen Savior. You see, the chief indicator that we are in the light is that we love one another. You see, love is thrown around a lot in our society. Right? Oh, I love you. And this is what they say about Jesus. Jesus loves everyone. He he doesn't he he's so tolerant and meek. He loves everyone in the same way. You see, if we truly have received the light of Christ, that will be shown in how we love one another, John says. It's amazing how much John talks about love. Not just in his gospel as it relates to Jesus, but in the epistles, in Revelation. He's the apostle of love, right? He talks a lot about love. We are to exhibit the love of Christ in our lives. Our love doesn't save us, but it's an evidence that we've been transformed by the light of Christ. Remember the song (laughs) that many of us learned when we were kids? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, and so on and so on and so on. 
hide it under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine until Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Folks, we can't control a lot of things. Our world's dark. But you know what? The light exposes the darkness. We are the light of Christ. We're to let the light of Jesus shine in the darkness. And, and I've said this to people, and this is maybe a little bit of a twisted way of thinking about it, but the darker it gets, the more emphasis is on the light, right? The world is getting darker, and so as we shine the light, we expose the darkness. We point people to Jesus Christ. I want to let my light shine, and I hope you do too. The Lagos is eternal. The Lagos is God. The Lagos is creator. The Lagos is the source of life and is the light of the world. Look forward to our march through the Gospel of John. And as I shared last week, it's going to take us quite some time. But I hope you're encouraged. What a beautiful, rich, powerful passage of Scripture. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning we are grateful for the Lagos. We're grateful for Jesus who came as the visible, tangible expression of You as Father. And we know that Jesus has come as the light of the world to shine the light in the darkness. And we, too, as His followers, as those who have repented of sin and placed our faith and trust in Him, are now His light to shine. How does the world learn about the light? From those whose sin-darkened hearts have turned from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, we are now the lights of the world, shining the light of Christ in a dark, dark world. Help us to do that more and more effectively and more often. Help us to know why it is that we've been saved from the penalty of our sin by Jesus, the Lagos, the visible, tangible expression of you. We thank you this morning and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.